Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we would really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. You may go ahead and have a seat if you're here, if you're watching on online at home. It's good to have you tuning in as well. Uh, It's good to have a service where we can kind of gather everyone in and kind of capture a service. And so if you're watching, as I try to get my iPad to go to the right right direction, uh, we are glad to have you here. Um, I want to dive right in because I have a bunch of stuff I want to cover. I heard a wise man say once time that experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Does that make sense? Experience is not the best teacher. You can do the wrong thing over and over and over and over again. You're not learning. It's not experience is the best teacher, but evaluated experience is the best teacher. Now, I don't know if it's Easter last weekend. I don't know if it's the spring weather in the air. I don't know if I'm just getting old. I don't know what it is. But I find myself evaluating and thinking more. Is that, some of you are really old. Is that an old person thing? I didn't say all of you. I said some of you. I always have to check if people are paying attention to the sermon. Isn't it true there's something about being young where you just do? You're always hard charging, going, busy, doing, doing. But I think there is something that happens as you age where you start to think more. You start to ponder. You start to reflect on things. And since I am the ripe old age of 38, I find myself longing for a rocking chair. I don't know, but there's something about a rocking chair that says, ponder, think, reflect. Now also, this, this week that just went by marked five years since I've been back here, so I've been thinking about the last five years and processing. Um, Is this time mattering? Am I into the right things? Am I focusing on the right priorities? I mean, some of our kids didn't even exist five years ago when I got here, and so so much has changed. And I found myself thinking about the last five years. Five years ago in 2016 when I got here, there was about 400 people in the church. Uh, Last weekend in a pandemic between here and coastal, we had 750 people. There's, there's stuff happening. There's, there, there's things that are going on where five years ago, money was still a bit tight, and there was a few things that were a bit chaotic, and there was some tension, and there was a high turnover of pastoral staff, and there was just things that were happening. And now looking at God is, is blessing, and there's some, there's some really amazing unity coming together. I mean, most of the staff has been here for almost five years now. Like, there's just some things trending that I find encouraging lately. Um, I, I, I checked we kind of write down names of people who are baptized. People will say, oh, at the big church, you're, you're just a number. That's so not true. You are a name and a story, and we care about your family. If you feel, feel like a number, move closer. Get to know people. Invest risk. It's, it's, it's a two-way conversation. But on our side of the conversation, we have 65 names of people who have been baptized the last two years. And I was looking over that list of names, and I was like, 
I didn't know these people. I didn't, I mean, some of you are here in this room. Some of you are on video giving your testimony on Easter weekend. These are, these are family stories and names. And I think back to Love Week. I love doing Love Week. I love seeing the, just the army of people going out and blessing and loving the community, seeing funds go different places. Uh, Celebrate Recovery didn't exist three years ago. That's been a new ministry that was birthed to meet a need that we weren't able to meet before. And I could just go on and on and on about things that I've been just celebrating the last little while about the church. But as I think about our strengths and weaknesses, um, I feel that one of our strengths, I feel like we have two strengths really that I was thinking about. One of our strengths is that we are really excellent at drawing people in and connecting with people. If I, there's never been a time that somebody has said, let's get together, the answer is no. Uh, there's never been a time where people are like, I have an idea. Let's hear about it. I mean, people, we, we love that. We, we did the Mariner Center two Christmases ago. Like, there's a, there's a drawing and a coming together that is unique that I like about that, that this church right now. Uh, and the other thing that I like is that we are a mobilizing church. Uh, if you want to rally an army together, we can pull an army together. You want to get 50 people, 100 people charging in one direction. Uh, you want to see Dave pull a team together to get something done. You people are amazing. There is something about, hey, we have a need. Let's meet it and let's charge. It's incredible. I, I was, I'm blessed by these things. But to be intellectually honest, a church can't just be strong. You always have weaknesses. And, and as long as you journey together, there'll be different areas. And, as, and the weakness I was thinking about recently is that if, if we're good at drawing people in and if we're good at sending people out, one of the weak spots we have right now is that we're not doing a great job of building people up. This, this is me confessing. No one has emailed me this week like, you guys are terrible. What I'm finding is people are drawn to what's happening and they're ready to go. But we're missing a piece in the middle that answers the fundamental question, how do I become like Jesus? I think what's happening right now in our church is that people are finding Jesus wildly attractive. There's something about preaching grace. There's something about preaching about Christ that, that, that we're not trying to get people to be a part of the Wesleyan church. We want people to be part of Jesus' church, which means somebody might find faith here but feel more plugged in somewhere else. We care about people meeting Christ. That's happening. We care about being on mission with Jesus. That's happening. But there's this little spot in the middle that as, as our staff talks and prays, we own the reality that I think we have wet the appetite to become like Jesus, but not done a great job explaining how do you become like Jesus. We recognize that. It's not just read your Bible. That, 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 that there's an elementary level to that. We want to talk about what happens at a soul level when you read your Bible. First question, what's a soul? What, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit connects with our spirit, and what does that do in our transformation of our journey? What does it mean to take every thought captive? What does it mean to actually work through issues of forgiveness, uh, hatred, resentment, pride, like the, in the dirt and the gritty stuff? And so you, you can't fix everything and deal with everything all the time, right? Like you work on things. And, and I think what's, what God's been laying on my heart this next season of our church, if I'm just being just, I'm just kind of pouring out what's going through my mind lately, I think God's taking me down a, a, a path this next season where I want to dig around in the subject of spiritual formation. How, how are we formed into the image of Christ? Every January, people sign up to, up to the gym 
to become physically formed. I have a form, I don't like it, I want a new form. So they go to the gym for physical formation. We're a church. While I would love for you all to have great big biceps and abs and ripped and stuff, that's your own business. Here, we do spiritual formation. How do we become more like Jesus? And so I feel like I'm heading down that road over the summer and kind of studying. I think it's going to come out in our preaching next year. Um, I like to plan our preaching stuff ahead. If you want to know what we're doing, you're in the middle of a little discipleship thing. Mark and I are going to do a part one, part two next week. And then I want to do a few weeks. I don't have it titled yet. I'll wait till Mark thinks of a really creative title and I can take it and borrow it. I want to do a few weeks around the battlefield of the mind. I think people are mentally exhausted. I think the pandemic hasn't beat you up physically, it's beaten you up mentally. I want to dig into that for a few weeks. And then we're going to dig into Nehemiah for about five or six weeks and talk about building a wall. Um, how do we build a foundation? How does God put a burden on our heart? And then how do we live that mission out? And then for the summer, which I'm really excited about, which you might not care at all, I have a sermon series I'm working on called Confessions of a Pastor. I think some of you were raised where it was the confessions of a person to a pastor, right? I want to do confessions of a pastor to you over the summer. And then the fall, we're going to talk about our foundation and the back to the basics of what we believe. Uh, so much has happened over the last five years. And then the pandemic came and just wiped everything out. Uh, some of our people have moved on. Some of our people have moved in. The stuff has changed. It's been 13 months since we were any kind of normal. We want to take the fall and lay down some basic truths of what we believe as a church. What does your church believe about this? What's your church's position on this? We want to tackle that through the fall, kind of a back to the basics, give some fundamental. You never outgrow the basics. You know that, right? You just keep building on them. And so that's kind of the next six, seven months of kind of where we're heading preaching as a church. But tonight— like, are we going to get to something tonight? But tonight, in Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, if you bring your phones with you, in Matthew chapter 4, tonight is the first of this kind of journey that I'm just kind of spilling out to you. Tonight begins with Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus start his ministry. Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years old. He wasn't born preaching as a little five-year-old. He did some teaching. He did some stuff. But his ministry began at 30, and it lasted three years. In Matthew chapter 4, you have the beginning of his ministry. He is kicking it off. And in Matthew 4, 18, he invites the first people to follow him. So Matthew 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and, uh, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And, they said to, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their, and their father and followed him. I'm contemplating going down to the wharf tomorrow. <laughs> Find a couple, couple crew worked on the nest. Like, hey, hey, follow me. <laughs> I don't know if I get beat up. I don't know if I just get shrugged. I don't know. And, I, and then if they don't move, I might say, hey, I'm a pastor. <laughs> just to make it weird. But here's the scene. We have this Jesus guy showing up 
at a wharf for them, tending to their boats, tending to their nets, and Jesus is like, hey, follow me. And they do. Which begs the question, why? Why do they just throw this down? Why do they drop their nets? Why do they leave their livelihood? One parrot says specifically, and their father is left behind. So what is going on there? Now, what's not going on there is they are not following Jesus because they know he's the son of God. There's none of that in the lead up. You read the gospels, it is amazing how few people get it. They're not following, well, there's, that's, that's the son of God. Let's follow him. Not at all. There's not a conversation around that guy. He's going to die for our sins. Let's follow him. That's not it either. What is showing up in this scene is a teacher. A good teacher is showing up. And in that time, instead of saying teacher, they'd say, oh, there's a rabbi. There's a rabbi showing up. There's a teacher showing up. And in their day, when a rabbi or teacher showed up, they showed up kind of personifying their teachings, their code, their way of doing life. And it was not uncommon for a rabbi or a teacher to rally young people around them and say, I'm going to pass on to you my teaching, my code, my way of life, and I will impart it to you, and you will go and teach it and practice it, and you will do what I do when I'm gone. Some might even call those people disciples. You'll be a student of the teacher, and I will pass this on to you. Now, the kicker that you're probably asking, you should be asking, is, so what? Why are they dropping their career? Because there was something honorable about being invited. There was something honorable about having a recognized teacher showing up and say, I'm inviting you to follow me. I get to be in this group. I get to be kind of in your entourage. I get to follow you. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to be mentored from you. I'm going to watch you up close and personal. I'm going to learn to do what you do. That was an honorable invitation. And so they take it. The interesting thing is that when they take it, they don't even fully understand what they're accepting. Some of you in this room are processing following Jesus maybe for the first time. Some of you are processing, kind of going further with Christ, but you've said or thought or told your spouse or your friends, I have too many questions still. I'll get my questions answered, and then I'll proceed. May I just say, you'll never proceed. If you're waiting for all of your doubts, all of your concerns, all of your what-ifs to be worked out to proceed with Christ, you'll never proceed. He invites them and they begin a journey that they do not fully understand. I got married the exact same way. <laughs> I had kids the exact same way. I became pastor here the exact same. You don't do anything great fully understanding it going in. Agreed? And so it's no different here. So if you're waiting to take the next step with Christ, if you're waiting to take the next step of your faith to get all of your questions answered, that's never going to happen. But the gift on our side, while they don't fully understand what they're saying yes to, while they don't fully understand what their journey with Jesus is about to be, we get the beauty of zooming out a little bit. They're not reading the New Testament, they're living it out. So they don't know what happens in Matthew 5 because they haven't lived it yet. 
We get to back up, read Matthew 5, Matthew 28, Acts 15, Romans. Like we get to zoom out, and when we zoom out, we know this invitation means a lot. Because when Jesus invites, when, when Jesus sends out that first invitation to people, it has implications right away. And the invitation of Jesus always calls us from being an observer to being a follower. This is always the call of Jesus. It is always leave the crowd and follow me. It is always stop being an observer and follow me. And he's coming along the shore there, and it does not say these are the only two sets of brothers there. It just says he invited these two sets. Jesus in John chapter 5 goes into the pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida, depends on what Bible you're reading, walks among all the sick people, and walks up to one person, finds the one in the crowd, heals that one person, and leaves. I don't know why. I don't know how many people might have been on that shore, but these two sets of brothers he invites to follow. Stop being an observer and follow me. Now, lots of times when Jesus is preaching and teaching, doing his thing, when he is kind of being rabbi on the journey, crowds constantly form. And you would think if you were in the crowd, seeing Jesus do what Jesus did, teach what Jesus taught, seeing how he loved people, like, well, I'd just follow how many people have said, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe? That's, that's not true either. There are people who saw Jesus in the flesh. They saw him raise the dead, give sight to the blind, and walked away. And you read the Gospels, and you find this little phrase sneaks up from time to time, and some doubted. And so Jesus is often in front of a crowd but he invites people to leave the crowd. Stop observing and follow me. And it's not just those who witness. There is a deeper pull on some in the crowd that does not seem to hit everybody. And so he invites these people to leave and follow, which means for Jesus, the win, the win for Jesus is not to have a large crowd. The win for Jesus is not Man, I think when I was teaching the other night, I think there was like 4,000 people showed up. I think, I think Jesus, Jesus was on Facebook Live the other day, and I saw like 200 people were watching him live. That's us. We get addicted to that. We want the, the tangible expression. Is anybody out there, does this have merit to what I'm doing? We need this. Jesus did it because it was right. The crowd was not the point. He was looking for followers. The other thing for Jesus is that the win is not that people could regurgitate his teaching to their co-workers the next day, whether they asked for it or not. That's not the win. The win is not furiously taking notes to pass it on to somebody else. The win for Jesus was followership. Someday you will do what I do. That is so different. The invitation is come and learn from me and one day you will do what I have done. And in one spot he says, and even greater things. Second thing you see as you look at Jesus' call to the fishermen is that the invitation is to life now, not just eternity then. The invitation from Jesus is to full life now, not just eternity then. When he gives the invitation, two times it says, immediately 
they drop the nets. Let me say that one more time. Immediately. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just the worst Christian in the room, which is highly possible. I don't do a lot that God tells me to do immediately. I find when God tells me to do something, I need to text my prayer partners, see what they think about the situation. And to get my closest friends around, like, well, here's what I'm sensing God's telling me. Well, what do you think of this? I tend to treat the invitation of Jesus like I treat the dishes in the sink. Just gonna let them soak for a little while. Just gonna let that percolate for a little while. Because the temptation with the invitation of Jesus is to respond with later. Later I'll do that. Later I'll get to that. I'm busy right now, but as soon as my kids are out of the house, then I'm good for it. I'd love to follow you right now, but, but that'll have to be later. I've got things right now. I'm far too busy. So we tend to kick that ball down the field as long as we can. And later is only outdone by the excuse, someday. I can't tell you how many people I've met in the community, like, yeah, yeah you know, I, I'm aware. I know who God is. Someday, someday I'll settle up with him. Someday. Not today. Someday. Someday, you know, maybe on death's door. Maybe someday when I'm old, like 40. <laughs> someday. I'm having fun right now, but someday. You hear this, right? You've said that, right? Someday, someday. Immediately, they drop their nets. See, I think sometimes when we hear the invitation of God, we associate it with obedience. You answer the Lord when he speaks. You don't know when he's coming back. Not untrue things. But I think we use the idea of immediacy and attach it to fear. I think when Jesus invites us to something, he wants immediacy because his invitation is attached to blessings. See, I think we forget that obedience to Jesus leads to a blessed life. And I don't say an easier life. I say a blessed life. It's a better journey. You're going to suffer in this life. I'd rather suffer with Jesus than without him. You're going to succeed in this life. I would much rather succeed with him than without him. So the idea is not some kind of fear-mongering immediately. It's immediately. We, we, we get an opportunity to jump into his family and jump into his kingdom and receive his blessings immediately. It's not a fear-based thing. It's an opportunity to join his family. The third thing is you look at the story as he invites people is that the invitation of Jesus invites us on a transformational journey. Think of what it meant from their side. This teacher walks up, sorry, this rabbi walks up. Hey, fisherman, which I'm going to do tomorrow. Hey, hey, just like that. Hey, follow me. Think of what that actually meant. When it says immediately they laid down their nets, they laid down the family business. They laid down everything they knew. And the second part it says on the second, second set of brothers, laid down their nets and left their father. So they go from fishing to ministering with Christ they go from dad to Jesus. 
This is an enormous shift. This is leaving the home, leaving the nest. This is moving out and throwing everything with Christ. Like, I am all in on this. I don't know what it means, but I'm all in on this opportunity. I'm all in on Christ. I'm about to learn everything new. What I knew yesterday no longer helps me for what I'm going to learn tomorrow. Whole new journey. Now, for me, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody in this room, I get all excited when I think of Jesus' invitation, like, all right, let's get on mission. Let's get doing stuff. There's a mountain to be conquered. There's some kids that we can bless. There's some, something we can do over here. Like, I love the mission of Jesus. Am I alone? I'm not setting you up. Like, for real. <laughs> I love the mission of Christ. I, 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 I know there's an element of sacrifice. I, I get that. But it's better. It's a blessing. I love the mission. But what God has been challenging me with and where I think he's going to lead me into this next season, which will also have implications on us, that when you accept his invitation of his call, it's not just that you accept the mission of Jesus, you accept the life of Jesus. See, truth be told, I would much rather follow him on mission as long as I can do life my way. And my way is hard charging. My way is impulsive. I will kick a door in and then knock. <laughs> I want to run through life. I'm not the only person, correct? My motto is busier the better. I just want to go, 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 go. And if you're in my way, well, I'll move you. I just, I just want to go. There's an urgency to this. There are people who are suffering, so let's go. And I get all riled up. And then I read Jesus. I want his ministry. I don't want his life. But the invitation to have his ministry is to first have his life. And Jesus gets up while it's still quiet and pulls off into remote places and prays. At the height of some of Jesus' ministry, he leaves and walks away. Imagine the Mariner's Center, 2,200 people, things just booming, going crazy. I'm like, well, it's been nice. Time to go downsize. Our ego's like, more! And he just sneaks off, goes and prays, goes for solitude. When he's being accused by opposition, he stands there and takes it and does not say a word. I'm like, but Christ, you could rebuttal a little bit. Come on. I know you can call down a legion of angels. Call down your best two. Come on. Right? I want the ministry of Jesus. I just don't want his life. But I can't have the ministry without having his life. The life is the gateway. It is the door. And so I think what happens for us here tonight is that not many of you even have the opportunity to lay down fishing nets, although that's a very appropriate analogy. <laughs> I think Jesus still calls. I think Jesus still knocks on people and says, come and follow me. I think if I have ever preached a universal sermon at this church, it's this one tonight. Because if you're here... I can speak on behalf of God that he loves you and he wants you. I don't have to qualify it without exemptions. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And that relationship is found by coming and following. Well, I've done some things. I know that. He loves you. Well, I don't really understand the whole journey. I know that. He loves you. Well, I'm kind of busy this week. I know that. He loves you. The question is not, do you have it all together? The question is, what step is this for you? See, for some of you, when you hear that call, you, you feel Jesus kind of stirring around you. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. I, don't, I just, I feel something when I'm near him. For some of you, you take your first step. 
You just take that first step. Like, okay, I don't know what this means, but I'm stepping in. You're at the altar getting married. I don't know what this means, but I'm stepping in. Christ, you're calling me to a marriage. I don't know what this means, but I'm stepping in. But for some of you, it's the next step. See, the, beauty, the beautiful part of journeying with Jesus is that the journey doesn't come to an end. You don't journey for four years and then tap out. Like, well, I did it all. I saw everything God has for me. I'm done. It's just your next step. Followed by your next step. Followed by your next step. Some of you have taken 400,000 steps. Like, well, I've seen a lot. Then take your next step. I crossed a million steps the other day. Good. Take your one millionth and one, one step with Jesus. It doesn't end. He just takes you further. So here's the deal tonight. Here, here, here's my grand altar call in a pandemic. We have a number that we've been using from time to time that Mark and his connection team uses. I would love, my prayer is that for some of you tonight, you've never taken that step. Maybe you need to text that number and just say the word first. Like, first what? First step. I just explained it. First step. I, I don't this means, but I want to take my first step in my journey of faith. But for some of you, you want to text that number and say, okay, I need help. I don't know what this means. I've been on the journey for a while, but I want to take my next step. I came to the church. I bought in. I've been on mission, but I need this journey with Jesus to take a next step. Just text the word next. I'd love to do an altar call. I'd love to break all the COVID rules. We can't but we care about you. You're not a number. We care about you and your story, and so we want to serve you. And if Mark and I can serve you, I would, that number's not going anywhere. So if you don't blow that phone up tonight, because all of you, you're either taking a first step or a next step, we will come alongside you, we will work with you, and we will serve you as you journey with Jesus. His invitation goes out. It's our job to respond to it.